There is great rewards for our faithfulness. So let's turn to Revelation and see some of those. Revelation 21, and we're in verse 9. Let's see just a glimpse of the beauty of the eternal kingdom where the Lord God will be their light. Revelation 21, and we're starting at verse 9. And again, a recap on the, the whole book. What have we seen? Um, in John's present, he's uh, exiled on the island of Patmos. Uh, the brilliant vision of the resurrected Lord comes before him and tells him to write the things that are. And so he does, and there's a warning to the churches, real churches that were meeting and worshiping together, but also uh, warnings that are appropriate to our churches today, to the body today. And then um, he was brought up to heaven to see these glorious displays of worship. John was um, in the heavenlies, and just a glimpse of what we'll be doing for all eternity. And then this description of these end times events, the tribulation, seven years where God will judge this earth and in that judgment will bring the Jewish nation back to him and will judge the people at the same time for their sins. And of course, the church will be taken away from all that, raptured away, uh, preparing for the marriage supper of the Lamb and rejoicing there, meeting loved ones again. We'll miss all that, thankfully. We'll be together, then we'll return with him at the end. The great tribulation, the um, last three and a half years, we saw all that. God's enemies destroyed, done away with. And then we have this beautiful millennial kingdom ruled by Jesus Christ. A thousand years of perfect righteous rule. What a blessing that will be. And those believers that survive the tribulation will be the people that will populate that kingdom and that um, we will rule over. And as hard as it is to understand and to comprehend, though, those faithful people that live in that kingdom will have children, and their children will have children. In a thousand years, there'll be a lot of kids that will grow up. But unfortunately, there'll be a multitude of those that in their hearts, even with Satan chained and Satan having no influence at all, and the beautiful reign of Jesus Christ will turn against them in their hearts. And that is the picture of sin, folks. That's why it's so hideous and it has to be dealt with. And so at the end of a thousand years in this glorious reign, Satan will be released from his temporary prison. He will know where to go to find his followers. He'll deceive them. They'll want to be deceived. They'll come up against the very capital city of the millennial kingdom, Jerusalem, and God the Father will act and take them all out in a burst of fire. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. There will be great judgment. And all of those that have rejected Christ will be judged. The books will be opened. Their sins will be revealed. And they won't have their sins covered by the blood of the Lamb because they rejected Him. Not because they didn't have opportunity. And they'll spend eternity in the lake of fire. But for God's people, all tears wiped away. The new heaven and the new earth formed and then we have this continual, 
this continued description of what it's going to be like. And um, John is trying his best to describe what it's going to be like. But even John is it, just, it, it's, he, he's trying to give details, but there's only so much that he can describe in a human, in a human way. Um, and even though the Holy Spirit's guiding him, we see some very general characteristics of what the beauty and the glory of this is going to be like. The most important thing will be, though, folks, that the Lamb will dwell there, and we will dwell with him forever. So verse 9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, and this was one of those that had those bold judgments, very sober, very serious, as this angel poured out those judgments, with the others, but now he comes with a blessed and exciting thing. He talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And now we see a probably the, the fullest description of who the bride is. I mentioned this. I give you a little preview Sunday evening. We'll go back to this now. Um, and it really, even though we describe the bride of, of Christ we're not given a lot of information about what what the ceremony will be like and, and how this all comes together. I think in the end, we just have to look at this, folks, and say, whatever this is in the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the bride, the marriage supper, the bride of Christ, and the Lamb of Jesus Christ, that really it's a picture of an incredibly unspeakable close communion with God. It's really the best way that I can describe it. There's a mystery when it comes to this. So the bride and Jesus and all this. But it's a beautiful mystery. And we'll have un, unaffected communion with him forever. And that's a wonderful thing. So here's this picture of the bride. He's going to show John the bride, the lamb's wife. Again, how does this all work together? It's, it's, it's a mystery. But he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city. Now he's not carrying him away to Mount Zion where the city is. No, he's carrying him away to another location so that he can have a first-hand view of Mount Zion and this beautiful city coming down, the holy Jerusalem. John has a wonderful view wherever he's carried away and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Whatever this jasper is back then that he's describing, it was clear, it was, it, it was beautiful in its clarity. And this is no symbol, this is an actual city. Even again, though, it seems like John's struggling to try to explain all these things. He does give us details. So this is an actual city um, that the new Jerusalem that will take the place of the old Jerusalem. And so, and again, let's be clear. The angel says, show me the bride, takes John away, and the bride comes down as a city. Now... What does a city represent? It represents a dwelling place for the people of God. And you say, well, why does a bride, why does he describe it as a city? Well, don't we do that with the church, really? We describe the church. We, we look sometimes at a church building 
And we say there's there's where the church is, but what we're saying is, what we should be saying is, that's where the people of God meet. Because it's not the building, it's the people. The, the building just houses the people. But sometimes we equate the church building with the church, the people. And that's what's happening here. It is um, this beautiful city is a way, it's real, but it's describing the people that will live there. The city represents a people which are the bride. And it's not a precise description of the colored shapes and things, but it's a picture of glory. Verse 12, and it had a wall great and high and had 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and names written therein, which are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And again, more details about these gates. These gates showed, even though they have angels, it's kind of like it's kind of like a picture of security. But we all know that there's going to be no need for security, right? We're not going to have to have um, glorified alarm systems and different things. It's just a point that here is the strength and power of God that nothing is ever going to go wrong again. Who's going to mess with these angels? Who's going to mess with God? No one ever will again. The power here. And it's welcoming. These gates are welcoming. The only people that are left, all the wicked have been judged. So everyone else that's left are welcomed into the city because they're God's people. Through these gates, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So um, here we have the city, first of all, these gates with the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. That is Israel of the Old Testament. Um, and... Uh, the best interpretation, I think, is that it is part of the bride as well, because it was described as such. But it also describes the twelve apostles of the Lamb, verse 14, the foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Okay, do you remember a verse in Ephesians that talked about the apostles being um, the foundations of the church? Now, of course, it was built on Christ, but here's a picture of that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Um, you are the fellow citizens with the saints, the household of God. You're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Here is a picture of the church. Um, built upon the cornerstone of Christ, but these apostles had a distinct uh, responsibility um, in in that God used them to help that early church and so they represent the New Testament church in this reference to the apostles again the bride we have represented the Old Testament Israel the church now another clarification here this is and I am not saying that Old Testament Israel equates to the church um, that's a different theological perspective that I don't share. Um, the Old Testament Israel is distinct from the church. And some very good people try to put those two together and say that the church is the continuation of Israel in the New Testament. Um, there are specific promises for, the, for Israel, that the, the, the um, physical nation of Israel, that will be realized at this time. And, that, and so that is different from the church. 
but that doesn't mean that these both combined in the end can't be the bride of Christ, even as distinct as they are throughout um, God's eschatological and, and um, salvation history. It seems they can come together here in the end as the people of God and be the bride of God, bride of the Lamb, the bride of Christ throughout all eternity. And again, in case you're wondering if this is a real city or not, he's going to measure it. The angel is here and he talked with me, verse 15, I'm sorry. He that talked with me had a golden reed. This is a glorious golden reed of purity that shows the importance of the city, the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof in 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And you're probably wondering, now I'm, I guess, <laughs> again, I've got notes in my King James Bible here, so I'm going back and forth, and I apologize for that. But regardless of what version you have, you're probably wondering what those links are and what, the, what this description, what it actually entails. From what we can tell, this describes um, 1,500 miles in each direction. Somebody has measured it out from New York. They've said one uh, parallel is New York all the way to Houston. Um, this is a big place, folks. And it's a big place that will make an impression, and it made an impression upon John. As John's viewing it coming down, this will certainly house all the saints and God's people. But they won't be um, kept just in the new Jerusalem. They'll be able to spread out and enjoy the new earth and the new heavens. And we'll see more of that in a minute. But more of the description of the city here. The building of the wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. This is pure, translucent gold. We look at gold today and think, oh, it's so wonderful and so beautiful. This is going to far, far, no pun intended, outshine any gold that we could ever imagine today, and it'll be literally translucent. We get so excited about gold, you've probably heard this before, and it'll literally be for the New Jerusalem, the pavement, right? Beautiful picture here. Foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony. Um, that is, hold on, I'm going back to the ESV here. The third agate, the fourth emerald. Verse 20. The fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophras. I think I got that right. Chrysopras. A lot of jewels here. A lot of precious jewels. And um, should we see this as all these things being made up of the kingdom? Possibly. But I just think the overall picture that we're supposed to see here is this city is glorious beyond description. It's marvelous. It shines with an incredible light of all of God's creation. And then, of course, the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. Hard to imagine. And the street of the city, there we go, was pure gold like transparent glass. And again, um, 
there, it, there's a possibility, some interpreters think, that this city hovers over the earth. Um, others think that since it talks about the apostles and the foundations, that this must have a foundation, and therefore it's grounded in the earth. You know what? We'll know when we get there. <laughs> then we'll know for sure. So I'm not even going to argue any of those things, whether it hovers or whether, whether it hovers, or whether it's founded um, by these uh, foundations that represent the apostles. We'll find out one day, and it'll be glorious. So let's not get too into the details with that. And here's the even more glorious aspect of this. What will light this city and what will light this, this new creation? Verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. They have the idea of those gates again that are always open. No reason to be afraid. Got to shut the gates at night or the enemy's going to come in. No, there's no more of that. Freedom, rest, total protection. No more worries of anything. It's all done, folks. I'm looking forward to this. Aren't you? There will be no night there. Um, there's a lot that we'd like to know about heaven. And we just don't give, we're not given enough details. And I, don't, I think that's purposeful. God wants us to be excited about it. You know how it is when you're about ready to get gifts and you don't know for sure what they are, and there's an excitement, especially with children, the more excitement because you don't know what you're getting, but you know you trust the people that are getting you the gift, and so you know it's going to be good. Well, even in a more, uh, in a more immense, amazing sense, we can trust God that whatever this is, it's going to be glorious, folks. It's going to be marvelous beyond even what we can imagine. Uh, one comment there on verse 22 says, no temple in the city. It's interesting that um, at the end of the book of Ezekiel, he, he takes many chapters to measure lots of detail about a specific temple that will take place, that will, that will be built in the end times. And it's, it's been a mystery for a lot of people. And it still is kind of mysterious uh, to interpreters today, certainly. Especially because it says here that there will be no temple. There'll be no need for the temple because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are there. And they are the temple. Um, it does seem, from the I think the best interpretation is that during the Millennial Kingdom, there will be an actual temple. And it's the one that Ezekiel measures out. Um, Again, there's too much detail and too many chapters at the end of Ezekiel for there not to be some sort of physical temple. I'm just convinced of that. But that will only be during the millennial kingdom. After that, it says here, no need for a temple anymore. The presence of the Lamb will be all that we need. Um, no more ceremonial sacrifices or anything like that. And it will be lit by the presence of God and the presence of Christ. 
And notice again, uh, verse 24, the nations will walk, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And this seems to indicate that there's still activity going on. Again, uh, that whole thing about the cherubs and strumming the, the, the harps on clouds, and we're all going to have you know, little wings and everything. That's not at all what is represented here. Here is a picture that people are going to be in and out. And I think there's a picture here of kings. It, we're still going to have opportunities to reign and to rule with Christ. Probably for all eternity, there's going to be lots to do and responsibilities that we'll carry out for all eternity. It'll be a, a wonderful thing in that regard as well. Um, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. The, still, although there will be many responsibilities in the new heaven and the new earth, the primary responsibility as described here is that they will come and they will bring worship, the glory and honor of nations. They'll bring worship to the Lamb. They'll bring worship to the God, that will, to our God. That will be our primary responsibility for all eternity, is to worship Him and to bring Him worship. But, just as a reminder, this is a perfected, glorified state. Verse 27, and there'll be nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And here is a, another warning. Those that have rejected Christ, what was their city that they were so proud of? That awful woman that was described as Babylon. That's their city. What happened to their city? Ultimately destroyed. Evil done away with. For the followers of Christ, we get the glorious, eternal city of the new Jerusalem. The gold, the pearls, the presence of the Lamb. And we're reminded here that we have a choice. And that if we choose to reject Christ and we follow after our own sin, there will come a time. Um, God, God will deal with those who choose their own way. He will not allow them to continue on in their own way throughout all eternity. He will not allow their sin and those that do detestable things to enter into this eternal kingdom. There'll be no more of that. And so we have a choice. Choose Christ, be written in the book of life, and experience the glories of this kingdom for all eternity. Or be thrown into the lake of fire because we chose our sin and we're not allowed into this glorious kingdom. And we need to make that clear, folks. We need to make that clear, the choice that people have. They, We want to proclaim the glories of of living forever with God. And folks, that's what we look, have to look forward to. No matter what happens on this earth, no matter how we're parted, no matter how we're temporarily kind of moved away from each other and, and God moves us on to different things, we're going to spend all eternity together fellowshipping and worshiping Him. And I hope that gives you encouragement tonight because it should. Lord, thank You. Even as we... Lord, there's so much more that we could say and that we could think about when it comes to this, to your kingdom and to this beautiful city, the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem. All of your followers from all of the ages that will be with you forever, fellowshipping with you forever. 
So much that we don't know. So much that we like to ponder and think, what's it going to be like? Will there still be celestial bodies? Will we still see planets and the moon and different things? Will we still enjoy oceans? All of these things, we don't know. But we know through this description that it will be glorious regardless. And we, we will not be sorry that we chose the way of Christ. But those that chose their own sin will be sorry for all eternity. Let us make the right choice and proclaim that to a world that is dark and needs to hear the hope of the glory of the eternal kingdom. Help us to do that boldly. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to have just enough time to cover the last chapter, last passage in Revelation on Sunday, and enjoy some fellowship together. So we're dismissed.